Army Staff Sergeant Stephen McQueen was serving in Afghanistan in September of 2018. And it was there while he was doing his normal patrol that two men came up to him posing as Afghan police and opened fire, one of them shooting him in the head. Now, of course, this would have been immediately fatal. However, he survived because of this. This is actually the helmet that he was wearing that took the round. This helmet had a special technology to absorb the blast and yet to preserve the person. And I, when he got the helmet, he admitted at the beginning, he thought, oh, it's a big deal about nothing. It was no big deal. But now he realized how big a deal it was that that helmet literally saved his life. Without that helmet, he would have been dead for sure. Now, the reason why I tell you that story is because uh, God has given us some gear, if you will, some protection when we engage in spiritual warfare. And that protection is called the armor of God. Now, you may have heard the term the armor of God or putting on the armor of God. Uh, you may think to yourself, well, you know, that doesn't really make a big difference in my life. You know, I don't, I've heard it. I don't really understand how that applies to me. But listen, do not dismiss what I'm about to tell you over the next few minutes. Because what I'm about to share with you may very well save your life. It may very well save your marriage or save your kids or save your church. This is serious business. This battle is real. The conflict is real and you're engaged in it every single week, every single day. So we're gonna talk about how do we engage in spiritual warfare. So once you get your Bible, once you open it up to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians six is where we're gonna to be today. Now, while you're turning there, let me just kind of remind you of the journey we've been on. We're in a series called The Unseen. We're talking about the unseen world. And uh, about three Sundays back, we learned something about that unseen world. We said there's a world behind the world we see. There's a world behind the world we see, not just everything that's going on is physical. There's a spiritual world impacting the physical world. Then the next week we learned that that world is in conflict. And we said there's spiritual forces fighting for you. And we went to Daniel chapter 10 and we saw the, the demonic and, and angelic forces in conflict. And then last week, uh, Tom Elf was with us and we learned about our spiritual adversary, the devil. And who is the devil and what does he do and what, does he ca what he can't do and how we should resist the devil, right? And so this week we're talking about how do we exactly do that? How do we resist the devil? Uh, what does that look like? How do we engage in what many Christians call spiritual warfare? And so that's what we're going to be talking about uh, today. So we're going to jump into it now, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. Uh, so this is the word of God. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now stop right there. 
If you notice in verse 13, there are two commands, two uh, imperatives. Uh, one command is to take up the full armor of God. The second command is to stand, to stand your ground, to take your stand. Now those two things go together, right? You cannot take your stand unless you are armored with the full armor of God. And unless you put on the full armor of God, you'll never take your stand. So that's what we're talking about today is how do we, how do we gear up for the fight, all right? Like I said, the fight is real. Would you agree with that? Every single day you're hit with temptations. Every single day there's messages coming through our culture. Every single day uh, Christians are being veered off course uh, and, and shipwrecked every single day. How are you going to stand your ground? Well, he said you've got to put on the armor of God. In fact, you can put it this way. In order to stand up, you've got to gear up. In order to stand up, You've got to gear up. In fact, I want us to say that all together, nice and loud so that your neighbor can hear you. Ready? One, two, three. In order to stand up, you've got to gear up. All right, now, you think about, uh, think about a football player. I've got two assistants with me today. Did you notice them? They're very quiet, all right? They don't move, all right? Anyway, we've got a football player. His helmet's kind of coming down a little bit, but that's all right. Uh, you know, you would, a football player would never try to play a football game without equipment, right? I mean, you're going to be carried off in a stretcher pretty quick. You know, one hit and you're done, right? Uh, no, you got you to gotta gear up. You have to have that equipment on to protect you. Same thing is true with a Roman soldier. This is probably what Paul was seeing when he wrote these words in Ephesus or to the Ephesians. He was in prison and he was right to the Ephesians. He was probably noticing a Roman soldier guarding him and he noticed that he was geared up for battle. And so as he's writing about these spiritual forces in the heavenly realms and authorities and principalities and we're having to stand our ground, he looks at him and he says, we got to armor up. We've got to gear up. In fact, every single piece of a Roman soldier's armor is there for a reason. There's no superfluous armor, all right? It's there strategically to defend against an attack of an enemy. And listen, every piece that we're about to walk through is there for a reason to defend you against enemy's attack. All right, the enemy is coming after you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you're, you're got a, you've got a bullseye on your chest. It's coming after you. It's coming after your family. So it's coming after us as a, as a church. I just came away from, uh, I was in Chicago this week with a bunch of church planters that are planting churches all across the United States, all around the world. And they, they were talking about worst case scenarios of when, when, uh, when churches are being persecuted and when thing, all the things that we've trusted on are falling apart, how will we then continue to advance the kingdom? See, that's, that's real life. So how are you going to stand? How are your kids going to stand? Your grandkids going to stand in that kind of day? Well, he tells us. Now, there are four ways the enemy attacks us. And I want to talk, that's what I want to cover today. Four attacks from the enemy. Now, by the way, the devil is not very creative. He does the same attacks all the time uh, because they're very effective. Incredibly effective. And these four attacks will come against you. And so this armor shows us how to defend against attack. Today, I'm going to talk about the defensive posture of the child of God in spiritual warfare. Next week, I'm gonna talk about going on the offense, all right? Today is about defense, okay? And I'm talking about the four attacks of the enemy. So if you got your paper out, pen out, write these things down, okay? Attack number one is this, 
the attack of deceit. The attack of deceit. Satan always begins his spiritual attack with deception, with lies, with deceit, questioning what God says and questioning God's truth. Think about in Genesis chapter 3, right? Uh, you have Adam and Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden. God has told them, do not eat of the fruit of the, knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so there they are doing their thing, walking with God. And the first appearance of Satan in the Bible is in Genesis 3 when he slithers into the garden and he begins to tempt Eve. And I want you to notice the first recorded words that we have of our enemy is when he goes to her and he says these words, did God really say you shouldn't eat that? First words. Did God really say that? Is that really true? Does that really mean you? Listen, uh, this is the first thing Satan always does is he starts to deceive and twist truth. That's what he does. He is a master manipulator. He's a master truth twister. And, and he deceives and he lies. Jesus said in John 8, verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You get that? He's saying he's a father of lies. He is a source by which all lying happens. And then he goes on to say this in Revelation 12, 9. The Bible says that Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. In other words, the whole world is under his influence of deception. And you're feeling it today. You and I are feeling it. You know, there, there is, a, there is an, a pushback. There is an attack against God's word. Have you noticed that? Just this week, I was reading an article about a rugby uh, official in Australia. Some rugby star had posted some scripture on their social media. And this rugby official said that the Bible is, quote, akin to hate speech, end quote. That's out there right now. In fact, we watched Drew Brees, quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, just get beat up by the press and attacked by the press because he dared tell high school students and encourage them to take their Bible to school with them. Well, what's all the animosity against the Bible? When all of a sudden is the Bible under attack like that? The reason why is because there is an unseen force behind our culture that is trying to deceive and say, don't listen to that truth. Push that away. Discredit that. Destroy it if you can. Because he doesn't want us to hold the truth. He wants the lies, deception, renaming, recasting. It doesn't mean anything for us today. That's what he's looking for. And we live in a day like that. We live in a day where people are claiming that there is no abject truth, right? There's your truth. There's my truth. But there's not the truth. For one of the first times now, we're beginning to realize that people today are not seeing truth as external to them, something that they try to grasp a hold of, try to get a hold of, try to ascertain and obtain, but the truth is something within us that we determine in ourselves. We create our own realities. We create our own truth. In fact, Forbes magazine which is not necessarily the bastion for conservative Christian views. Forbes magazine said that today we are living in what they call post-truth world, a post-truth world. So what do you do when Satan is discrediting the truth? First thing, when, when we are attacked with deceit, 
is we need to put on the belt of truth. Look at what he says in verse 14. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. You got to put on the belt of truth. Literally, that word is to gird up your loins with truth. Now, we don't use that terminology. I'm going to gird up my loins now, okay? I don't think anybody says that, all right? But what it literally means for that day, for that soldier, he would take anything that's hanging down around his knees, his, his cloak or whatever, and he would tuck it into his belt so that his legs were free to run and move and to engage in the fight to gird up, to tuck under the truth, uh, tuck under his belt, anything that would trip him up, see. Now, uh, when a football player uh, starts to put on his gear, the first piece of gear a football player puts on is his girdle. Now, we don't talk about that. That's a secret that nobody knows. But football players wear girdles, all right? And uh, what they do is they put this thing on and it has their thigh pads and their hip pads and their tail pad and all that kind of stuff in their girdle. Now, it's a private thing. Nobody puts your girdle on for you, all right? This is self-care. This is something that you do for yourself. But it is the first piece that holds all of that gear in place. Now, listen. He said the first thing you need to do is to to put on this belt of truth, to, to take your heart, your mind, your thoughts, your views, all that, and to tuck it under and surround it by and wrap it over with truth. With truth. You say, well, what is truth exactly? What do you mean by truth? Well, let's let Jesus define it for us. Jesus tells us what the truth is. In John 17, verse 17, he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth truth. And so that truth is God's word. You're holding it in your hand. So for you to start, to put on the belt of truth means that you start your day, you start your day opening up the Bible and saying, God, I need your truth in my life. Listen, how else will you know when you hear something false? How else will you know if something's true or not, you have to have something to judge it by. You have to have a plumb line. You have to have a standard by which you can measure whatever's coming at you and to know if it fits this standard of truth. I remember when uh, my girls went off to college, I said, listen, you're going to hear a whole lot of things that aren't true. You're going to hear a whole lot of things that aren't true. I said, but here's the deal. You have two things that will help you discern what is truthful. Number one, you have the Holy Spirit within you because you're born again and you give your life to Christ and the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And he will go, uh-uh. He'll, he'll, he'll shoot up a, fire, a flare. He will send a light going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, what did you just say? Uh, the Spirit of truth will alert you to what is not true. The second thing you have is this book. And I said, you have been taught this book your whole life. If you saturate your life with this book, it is like a filter. And whatever comes into you, if it gets stuck in the filter, then it's not true. You discard it, see? How else will you be able to know what's true without God's truth? See, and, and so to, to saturate your mind, to put on the belt of truth means that you start off every day and you say, Lord, I want to hear your truth. I want to saturate my life with you. And not only that, I want to align my life to your truth. Is your life aligned with the truth of God? I'm not just saying, do you know the facts? I, I'm saying, is your, the way you live your life is in an alignment, in an agreement with God's word, to be truthful with God and with yourself. Winston Churchill made the statement, he said, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up hurriedly and, and run off 
as if nothing ever happened. And I think that's really true. A lot of people, man, they hear the truth of God's word and go, oh, whoo, gosh, I don't wanna live like that. So I'm just gonna act like I didn't read that, right? Are you aligning your life to truth? So the first deception that he will bring to you is the first attack is attack of deception. Is this really true? So you gotta buckle up this belt of truth every single morning. The second thing, the second attack is the attack of of compromise. The attack of compromise. Once you question God's word, once you question truth, then he will lead you to make it easier for you to compromise. Listen, if you just go, you know what? I don't really know that I believe that. I I think I'm gonna discard that truth. Then it's very easy to get you to sin against God, right? I mean, you can sin against God and not even feel remorse, right? Because I've rejected this truth. Now I'm gonna kind of do whatever I wanna do. And he will quickly lead you to compromise. That's what happened in Genesis three, right? He said, did God really say? And then when she started to go, well, maybe not. Maybe that doesn't apply to me. Maybe that's not really true. Maybe I could be like God. Then it was not a very far step to get her to compromise and to sin against God. Now listen, Satan's not gonna make you, uh, tempt you with some huge compromise, some huge sin right off the bat. It's just gonna be a little one, just a little lie here, there. Just looking at this uh, thing right here, just a little word here, just a little bout of anger there, just a little, little of this, but one compromise leads to another, that leads to another, that leads to another. And soon one day you wake up and you say, man, I say I'm a Christian, but I don't live at all like one. Truth of the matter is, There's somebody in this room and God's speaking to you about this because you're living a double life. You you claim to know God, but you have so compromised your life. You have, you have, listen, when you no longer hold on to God's word, God's word no longer holds on to you. And then you just begin to drift away from God and into one compromise after another. And then once you open that door, it's easy for another to come and another to come and another to come. Compromise. This is what he wants. So what do I do? What do I do to stand against compromise? I got to put on the uh, righteousness. Look at what he says here. Stand firm with the belt of truth around your waist and righteousness like armor on your chest. You got to put on this, some versions say the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate covers your, all your vile organs, right? And so it protects you. He said, you got to put that on. Uh, football players will put on shoulder pads and a chest guard. And some even have guards for their ribs and their kidneys, right? To protect them from this kind of assault. You got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. So what is that? Well, in, in some regard, the breastplate of righteousness means the righteousness of Jesus. That means that when you gave your life to Christ, when you were saved, that you cry out to God. You said, God, forgive me. I've sinned against you, God. And, and at that moment, when you ask Christ to come into your life, the righteousness of Christ, the goodness of Christ, the rightness of Christ in his relationship with the Father was transferred to your account. And now God looks to you through the righteousness of Jesus and sees you as perfect and acceptable and clean and right before him. That is positional righteousness, all right? This is what the theologians call positional righteousness. But I think once you are in position right with God because of your salvation, now you need to live like it. You need to choose to live a life that is righteous, to choose to seek to please God and not run to sin and not do the things that break his heart, but to try to walk in obedience to him. That's what it means to live a righteous life. 
And I believe that's what Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing about. When you put on the breastplate of righteousness, what you're doing is you're saying, I am choosing to set my face and my feet to walk with God and not to compromise and not run to sin, but to try to please him with my life. I wanna follow Jesus. And I'm gonna surround myself with people like that. And I'm gonna hang out with people like that. And I'm gonna do the best I can to not sin against the God who loves me. That's choosing to live a righteous life. Now listen, you choose to live like that, you're going against the grain, right? Because everybody else is going a different direction. In fact, if you notice that uh, Roman soldiers, if you, if you look at some movies and stuff of Roman soldiers, there's always an emblem on the chest of the breastplate. That is a symbol of Rome. Same thing is true with like FBI agents when they strap on their bulletproof vest, it says FBI or police across the front. Why? Because they're, they're showing the world who they represent. Listen, when you say, you know what, I, I, I'm only going to saturate my life with truth. I'm going to choose to live a godly life and I'm going to veer off to the right or veer off to the left. I'm not going to run with those people. I'm going to seek to please God. Even if it means I have fewer friends, even if it means I lose that deal, even if it means that I'm not as popular, I'm going to set my face to follow Jesus. Then wherever you go, you're representing Jesus. You have Christ rep represented on your chest. The breastplate of righteousness shows that you mean business and you're a follower of Jesus. Now listen, you're either going to live a compromised life or you're going to strap on the breastplate of righteousness. You're going you're to excuse your sin or you're going to strap it on and say, you know what, I am going to live for Christ and live for Christ alone, all right? So you've got, you got the attack of deceit, so you've got the belt of truth. You've got the attack of compromise, so you've got the breastplate of righteousness. The third one is the attack of distraction. This is a little more subtle, the attack of distraction. You see, when you resist God's truth and you resist living a godly life, then all of a sudden you're not living out your purpose and you will be very distracted by lots of other things. Think about Eve in the garden, right? She was, uh, she was there and, and she was tempted by deceit and, and then she, she sinned against God and she compromised and she ate the fruit and then all of a sudden what happened? She started hiding. Adam and Eve just hid. They were walking with God. Why did God have them there? He, they were there to superintend and watch over God's creation and to lead it and flourish it and instead they abandoned their post and they were off hiding somewhere. They, they had stopped living out their purpose. Listen, you know what I've discovered? There are a lot of Christians that when they start, I'm not reading the Bible much anymore and I'm not hanging around with those Christian people. I'm gonna live my own life. And they start compromising. The first thing that goes then is their divine purpose for being here. See, Satan doesn't want you to live out your purpose. You know what your purpose is? By the way, I find a lot of Christians that are confused about what their purpose is. I can tell you what your purpose is. Are you ready? You wanna write this down. All right, your purpose is to make Christ known and to make disciples and make disciples. That's your purpose. You know, I think it's on Sports Center or Game Day or ESPN, one of those channels. They had this thing, this this segment called "You Got One Job." All right, and they show some guy's got one job and he epic fails. You know, it's it's hilarious. I love it. Well, listen, church, you got one job. You got one job. And that is to declare who Jesus is and what he's done in your life and to make disciples that will make disciples that will make disciples till Jesus comes back. That is our job. But here's the deal. If I, if I not saturate my life with truth and I'm living a compromised life, the first thing that goes is my witness, man. I don't, I don't want to witness to people. 
Because I'm like, well, who am I to talk about Jesus when they look at my life and I don't have my act together, so I'll just let somebody else do that. And he can just shut your mouth and squelch your witness because of it. And so what do we need? We need to, well, look at it again. I'm not making this stuff up. It just comes right out of the Bible. Okay, folks? Uh, Look at what he says. And he says, you need, uh, verse 15, your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Every Roman soldier would have sandals that had kind of cleat-like structures, nails come out of the bottom to dig into the ground. Every athlete's got cleats and certain things for certain turf. Why? Because that helps them to move forward. He said, you need to have your feet shod with the gospel of peace, a quickness, the readiness, the eagerness, the intentionality to share the gospel. That's the attack of distraction to say, no, I'm going to be on point with what God has for my life. Now, let me just give you an illustration to try to help you get your mind around it. Okay, so mom and dad are taking Johnny to college. Johnny graduated from high school. Everybody's very excited. He's going off to college. Everyone's thrilled that Johnny's going to college. So they take him to his dorm room. They help get his dorm room decorated, which basically means he puts a bedspread on and hangs a flag in his room. End of decoration. And so uh, he's decorated his room and uh, mom and dad are, you know, say goodbye to him. They cry a little bit. They go home and they're praying and hoping that Johnny is going to stand his ground uh, against all the attacks of the enemy and temptations of the enemy that await him in this place called college. Right. And so after they leave, Johnny takes his Bible and he puts it in the bottom shelf and closes it up and never opens it up again. And then he starts going to class, starts hearing a lot of things. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, the Bible's probably not true. And yeah, that, that probably is right. And I, I can't believe the Bible says that. No, nobody believes that anymore. So he's been sucked in now to this fodder of the world around him. And then he starts hanging out with some guys. Like, hey, man, come hang out with us. Come party with us. And it's going to be cool. And you'll hang out and meet some girls. La, la, la. So he starts running with this crowd and compromise after compromise. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in a very dark place. There's no thought in his mind of sharing the gospel with anybody. I mean, no, he's, he's enemies got him pinned. Now let's rewind the tape. Here's little Johnny. He comes, uh, goes off to college. They decorate his room with the flag and the bedspread. Mom and dad cry and they pray over him. They leave and Johnny takes his Bible out. But see, Johnny's been uh, in, in a church that taught him how to have a quiet time and taught him how to walk with God. And, and uh, so he starts reading his Bible. He puts it right by his nightstand. Every morning he gets up and he reads God's word. Every morning, start his day. And he says, Lord, I really want to align my life with your word. And then as he goes into class, he starts hearing all these things. Well, man, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> that's not what the Bible says. I don't believe that because that's, I may put it on the test, but I'm not buying it because this is what God's word says. And then these guys say, hey, man, come hang out with us. And come party with us. And I'll, you'll meet some girls. and We'll have a great time. And he's like, no, nah, I don't really know that I want to go that. He starts finding other people around him that are actually love God, love Jesus. He gets in a Christian fraternity. He gets in a Christian organization. And he starts meeting people and surrounding himself with godly people. And then as he begins to really seek to please God in his life. They say, hey man, let's go on campus and let's start sharing our faith, right? Let's start telling other people what Christ is on. Let's see a movement happen on our campus that God could do something awesome through us if we would just share boldly the gospel and make disciples. So he starts doing that on his campus. Now let me ask you, which Johnny is more susceptible to the enemy? Johnny A or Johnny B? Clearly Johnny A is because he took off all of his armor and walked right onto the battlefield unprotected. Johnny B, 
He's not as easily in danger. And quite frankly, he's a threat to the enemy. He's on point. He's a warrior for the kingdom of God. Now listen, I say that illustration because most of us can understand that kind of temptation, but that thing happens in your life too. When you go to work, are you geared up? Are you ready? Are you eager? Are you looking for opportunities to share the gospel? When you do that, it, it, it protects you from the temptations of the evil one. Let me give you the fourth one, all right? Number four, attack. Uh, we have the attack of deceit, the attack of compromise, the attack of distraction. Uh, here's the last one, the attack of destructive thoughts. You know, even when you are seeking to um, be in God's word every day, even when you are aligning your life as best you can uh, with God's word and seeking to live a godly life, even when you are surrounding yourself with the right people, even when you're on point with the mission and sharing the gospel engaged, even then the enemy can attack you with destructive thoughts. Think about Eve in the garden, Right? It was those thoughts, you could be like God. This is good for you. You need this that led her to compromise and sin and destruction. Those thoughts can still even come into the mind of a believer that's trying to walk with God. And, and Paul calls these flaming arrows. I love this descriptive language. Look at verse 16. He says, in every situation, take up the shield of faith. Uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. Now, I want you to notice he talks of flaming arrows. If I were to take you with me to Jerusalem, you, I would take you to the original wall. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And there are these little slits in the wall called uh, archer slits or archer loops is what they call them. But the archer would stand behind the wall and they would dip the tip of their arrow and pitch and they would light it on fire and they would shoot through these slits right into the enemy these flaming arrows so you've probably seen the movies right where they will shoot this massive wave of arrows like raining fire down on their enemy how in the world are you supposed to stand against these flaming arrows these thoughts that come zinging into your mind and you go wow where did that come from why did I think that how are you to stand against that helmet shield that's what you need when the warrior he would have the helmet so it would, if he bowed his head it would protect him against these flaming arrows and then if the arrows were coming he would lift up his shield now you say you have a helmet of salvation what that means is this one of the ways that the devil zings thoughts in your mind is the thought that you're not really saved what he'll do is he'll wait till you've stumbled, you've fallen, you've fa fallen into temptation, right? You've sinned against God and you feel so badly about it. You say, God, I'm so bad. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I looked at that. I can't believe I went there. And, and, and you're confessing it to God and then you'll hear the enemy start zinging his arrows. Oh, you think a Christian would do that? Dude, you're not saved. You're a joke. You're a joke. You're a fraud. You're not really saved. A real Christian would never do that. Why are you even bother going to church? Why are you even reading your Bible? Come on, everybody knows you're a fake. Everybody sees it. You don't fit. You're damaged goods. You're washed out. And you know what you need? The helmet. You gotta put on your helmet. You gotta buckle your chin strap. You gotta know that what God's word says is that you're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what Christ has done. That what Jesus did on the cross is what provides your salvation, not your own effort and goodness. You're saved because you're a mess, right? 
we're all a mess, right? And so we come to Christ in our messness, if that's even a word. And we come to him and we say, Lord, I need grace and forgiveness. That's buckling the helmet of salvation. Some of you need to buckle up your helmet. You've allowed the enemy to chirp in your ear and discourage you in your walk with God and to question the veracity and the authenticity of your calling because of these flaming arrows. Get on the helmet of salvation. And if he can't cause you to doubt your salvation, he'll cause you to doubt God's goodness. He'll say, well, you, you sing that God's a good father. It doesn't look like a good father to me. Look at what he let, let happen in your life. Look at what he, what he allowed to happen to that person. Look at the bad here, look at the bad there. How can a good God allow these things to happen? Surely he's not a very good God. Surely God won't come through for you. Surely God won't provide for you. Surely God's not what you say he is. Flaming arrows. So what do you do when the thoughts come into your mind of questioning God's goodness? You gotta lift up your shield. It's the shield of what? Somebody tell me. The shield of faith. It's the shield of faith. You know what faith is? Faith is confidence that God is going to do what God has promised to do. That's it. That's what faith is. Say, I believe that what God has said, he will do. I believe that what God has promised, he will do. And so when the onslaught of fear, the onslaught of anxiety, and the onslaught of doubt comes swirling around you, and, and those arrows come flaming at you, that you lift up your shield of faith and you say, you know what? I don't know that I figured all this out. I don't know that I can make sense of even my circumstances, but I know this, that God is going to do what he has promised to do. And if I never get it all figured out, I'll figure it out on the other side. But I am staking my ground that God is good and he will always do what he's promised. That's lifting up your shield of faith. Listen, some of you got to just lift up your shield. You're allowing so many of these darts to come flying at you. You're not lifting up your shield and you're allowing him to hit you with all these questions and doubts and anxiety and worry. When you got to lift up your shield and say, no, God has spoken and I'm going to trust him. God has spoken. You know, in fact, Roman soldiers, what they would do many times when the onslaught was really the, the strongest, they would get together and they would share their shields and they would cover on the top and the sides. They were, they, they were not able to be hit because they covered each other. And that's why we need a church. Sometimes you're getting hit so bad that you need somebody else's shield over you. You need somebody else going, look, I know you can't believe God, so I'm going to believe him for you. And I'm just going to stand here with you and I'm going to hold you. And we're just going to get through this together. And man, you're not alone. And we need each other, don't we? A shield of faith. Listen, uh, if you're going to stand up, you've got to gear up. If you're going to stand up against the enemy, you've got to gear up. So let me tell you what this looks like. Let me just illustrate it this way. So tomorrow morning, on Monday, here you are, you've gotten up in the morning, you found a place and you open up your Bible and you say, Lord, I really wanna hear from you because I need you to saturate my mind with truth. I have so many things bombarding me this, this day that are not true, so I need your truth. And so you read God's word and you write down the things that he says and you meditate on those things. I wanna wrap my mind and my thoughts around your truth and then you close your Bible and you get down on your knees and you pray like this. You say, Lord, thank you for saturating my heart and my mind with your truth. 
And so, Lord, I really want to live for you today. I'm buckling on the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, don't, don't leave me in a temptation. Lord, I don't want to go to the right or the left. I want to please you. I want to walk with you. I want to obey you. Keep me far from sin today, God. Keep me close to you. Let me represent you well. I buckle it on. And Lord, I, I, I want to be quick to be able to share what you've done for me. Maybe I start praying for people by name that need Jesus. I pray for Sally that needs you. And I pray for Kevin. And I pray for uh, Coop. And I pray for these people. And, and I'm praying for them. Lord, would you save them? And give, give me a, a quick, ready answer. Lord, today, if you're looking for somebody to use, I want to be ready and quick to share what you've done in my life. I put on the shoes of the gospel. And then I say, Lord, I know I'm going to get all kinds of arrows and thoughts coming through my mind. But I know that I'm saved because you tell me I'm saved. And I know I can trust you because your word is true. So Lord, when those anxieties come and I'm worried about this, God, I'm worried about that thing at work. I'm worried about my kids here. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. I've got all these things, Lord. I'm just going to lift up my shield today and I'm going to trust you that what you promise you will do. I've got my shield. And then I stand up and I go to battle. I've geared up and I go into my day and I take my stand against all the things that I'm going to get hit. Some of you are losing the battle of temptation. You're losing the battle. You're beat up with worry, anxiety, your, your addiction. You're losing the battle because you're not geared up. If you want to stand up, folks, you've got to gear up.